at our house, we don't yet have all of the plants and trees that we would like to have. Our addition is called Stratford Forest, but their goal when they came in was to remove every tree and living thing from your lot before they before they put your house on there. So there is zero on your lot. Uh, there are some behind it, you know, and uh, the not on your property. Uh, so there there is there is nothing there, and we have been slowly adding plants and trees, trying to beat back the weeds. Not always winning on that part, but uh, we planted two different types of maple trees. Uh, we would call them maples. They call them, um, one is October glory and the other, I think, is autumn blaze. Uh, one's a sugar maple and one is not. Uh, you know, and they certainly are different. They've gotten leaves at different times and they, they uh, kind of lose their leaves, get a little bit different color. We planted a Cleveland select pear, which as it turns out is neither native to Cleveland nor does it produce pears. Uh, but that's, that's uh, what they call this thing. And we planted two groups of river birches because uh, it, it seems they can't, uh, that, that they're, uh, uh, I don't know, friendly. They need more than one. I don't know uh, if they need it, but that's, that's the way they sell them. They sell them in these clumps. So uh, that's what we have. Now, closer to the house, we also have uh, some bushes and plants like uh, boxwood. Is that what those things in front are called? Uh, you know, boxwood. We have daylilies. We have a small rose bush, which has a, another name to it. Um, there's a tall flowering tree-ish thing there. There's some uh, fuzzy plants uh, close to the ground. There's some reddish purple leafy things over over to the one side uh, that are different. Well, then down the side of the house, we have some other reddish purpley leaved things that are different than the other reddish purpley leaved things and, and different than the fuzzy things close to the ground. Um, now, we also planted some small flowering plants uh, which last year, and I believe the name of those are uh, no seums because this year we no see them. Uh, <laughs> they just, they did not come back. They did not come back like the little tag in the pot said they would. Um, you know, that, that just, that just didn't happen. Uh, the, don't always believe the promise you see on that little tag. Now, Jenny and I were talking about plants to fill these spots. Uh, you know, of no return. And I mentioned that I like those uh, big green things that were by the stairs at the parsonage. And apparently they have a more technical name than the big green things by the stairs. Um, they are a sedum plant, which, as everyone knows, is a succulent plant, a low-growing herbaceous plant that grows naturally in rocky places and has fleshy leaves. Uh, flowers in white, yellow, or pink clusters. But you all knew that, you know, so I'm not telling you anything that you didn't know. Now, Ginny told me all you had to do with those things was snap off a few stalks and stick them in the ground, and, and they'll start growing. Yeah. I looked at her. She said, no, that's how those got there. Okay. I went up. I snapped off six of those things and handed them to her. Well, she insisted on continuing the ruse, and she stuck them in a pot of dirt at home and began watering them. And, uh, well, sure enough, um, we got these plants, you know. Uh, what do you know? That's just kind of the way God uh, made them. Well, I wanted more river birch trees than just these two clumps we had. So I walked over, and I snipped a, a couple of little uh, things off the river birch trees and I stuck them in a pot of dirt and I began watering them and um, 
it, it didn't go so well. And they looked good for about maybe 12 hours. I don't know because I was asleep uh, part of that time because when I woke up in the morning, um, uh, they weren't doing so hot. Um, you know, it, it just, it, it, it didn't, it, who knew? I mean, she was pulling my chain, apparently not, with the sedum plant. So, you know, here, here we were with the, with the river birches and, um, uh, you know, I, I guess I'm gonna have to do it, uh, God's way, the way God intended, as opposed to just my own plan there. Um, my way's not gonna work. Now, uh, see what's obvious, with the river birch plant, you know, sometimes doesn't seem to become obvious to us in other ways of life. You see, if I expect life to work right, I really need to follow God's directions for life and not follow my own plans. You see, I can, I can look and I can think that, you know, that, that, that I have this great idea of how it's going to work and the best way to do this. And, and just like my river birch plan, it doesn't work because that's not the way God put it together. We do our own thing sometimes instead of following God's plan, you know. Now, our struggle is that we really want our own plan. That's, that's our struggle. We really want our own plan. That's what we want. But the reality is we don't see the wisdom of God's plan. We don't see how all of those parts and pieces fit together all the time. We need God's plan. We need to follow God with faith in God and who he is. We're going to look at that a little bit more as we turn to our passage. Let's pray before we do that, though. Father, I I thank you so much for the way you have put this world together and just the, the amazing thing of the way some plants grow and, and some don't, but yet there they all are. According to your wisdom and according to your knowledge, not, not according to our ideas and our thoughts and our plans and our ways, but the way that you have set things up. And now in our own life, as we look and we think, uh, we forget that sometimes. We forget that our, our own plan and ideas, they, they don't always work. And we need your ideas, we need your plans, we need your thoughts, your direction. So help us today as we look into your word that we would have your direction, that we would have your insight. You know the challenges of every single person here. They're not escaping you. That is not escaping your notice. I pray that you might talk to their hearts, speak to our hearts this morning, and help us to hear from you and help us to not just understand your plan, but, Father, to begin to live it. We need your help. So guide us, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 30. If you're using the Pew Bible, it's on page 27. If you're using something else, go ahead and turn there. Um, uh, It's a longer passage. We're going to do it in four smaller parts to help us follow it a little bit easier. If uh, you get confused, I'm reading from the Holman Christian Standard. If it confuses you, then I'd encourage you to turn there. I'm going to drop down to verse 25. We went through verse 24 last week. I'm going to pick up with verse 25 of chapter 30 in the book of Genesis. Here we go. It says, After Rachel gave birth to Joseph, Jacob said to Laban, Send me on my way so that I can return to my homeland. Give me my wives and my children that I have worked for and let me go. You know how hard that I have worked for you. But Laban said to him, If I have found favor in your sight, stay. I have learned by divination that the Lord has blessed me because of you. Then Laban said, Name your wages and I will pay them. So Jacob said to him, 
Uh, you know what I have done for you and your herds, for you had very little before I came, but now your wealth has increased. The Lord has blessed you because of me. And now, when will I also do something for my own family? Laban asked, what should I give you? And Jacob said, you don't need to give me anything. If you do this one thing for me, I will continue to shepherd your flock. Let me go through all your sheep today and remove every sheep that is speckled or spotted and every dark-colored sheep among the lambs and the spotted and speckled among the female goats. Such will be my wages. In the future, when you come to check my wages, my honesty will testify for me. If I have any female goats that are not speckled or spotted or any lambs that are not black, they will be considered stolen. Good, said Laban. Let it be as you have said. That day, Laban removed the streak and spotted male goats and all the speckled and spotted female goats and every one that had white on it and every dark-colored one among the lambs, and he placed his sons in charge of them. He put a three-day's journey between himself and Jacob. Jacob, meanwhile, was shepherding the rest of Laban's flock. Now, this, uh, we're going to pause there. You know, Laban and Jacob both knew that Laban was better off with Jacob there. Look at verse 30. He says, you know, the Lord has blessed you because of me. They both knew that. They both realized it. Laban knew it there, and it, it was an obvious thing. When I was looking at that, I, I just, you know, I think even today, God places people in companies to bless them. Uh, you know, I, I believe God wants you to be a blessing to your employer. He wants He wants you to be a blessing to your to your coworkers as well. Do you look at your job that way? Do you realize when you go to work, you bring Jesus? If you have a relationship with Christ, if you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, when you go to work, you bring Jesus into that workplace. You might say, "Well, I'm the only Christian." Well, then it's a good thing you're there. I mean, seriously, it's a good thing you're there. Because when you go, then you bring Jesus into that place of employment. And I also think, as I read this passage, I, I, I think, you know, that God blesses companies where faithful Christians work. I think he blesses those places where faithful Christians work. You know, that that, that is one of the ways that God works. One of the things I do know for sure as, as I look at this passage is that God will bless others through you. He will and he wants to. He will bless others through you. Part of God making you a light in this world, part of him making you a city on a hill, is that you may bring light and joy to others. That you would be a blessing in others' lives. That's one of the things he wants for us. He wants for us to be a blessing in other people's lives. Now, Jacob here, as we're looking at this passage, Jacob still did not have a commitment to God. He still thinks he is master of his own domain. And now God is going to deal with that later. You know, he's going to, I mean, in a big way, he's going to deal with it. As we go on in this chapter, you'll see in the next chapter, the first part of it, you'll see that Jacob begins to catch on. You know, but here he is, he's, he thinks he's in charge of his own stuff. And that's how he's approaching life. You know, but Jacob was also God's chosen man. He was the one that God made the promise to. You remember, he made it to Abraham. He made it to Isaac. He passed it on to Jacob here. He said that God would be with Jacob wherever he went. 
as he was leaving the land, as he was leaving this promised land, as he was leaving the land that, that, that was promised, you know, that he was going to get, God said, I will be with you wherever you go. And he said, you know, that he would give Jacob many descendants. Now, Jacob is the first time we've seen where, you know, where this almost seems like, well, maybe it would be a possibility. Abraham had one son. Isaac has one son. Here's Jacob, you know, and Jacob already has 11 sons and at least one daughter. That's what we read, you know, as we were reading earlier in in last week in chapter 30. He already has 11 sons and at least one daughter. I say at least one daughter because later as you go through Jacob's family line, it tells you that he had more than that. You know, and, and he also, God also told him that he would give that land to Canaan, that land of Canaan, excuse me, to Jacob and his descendants. And when he met him at Bethel there, remember, he said that the land that you were sleeping on, I will give you that land that you're sleeping on and, and this is all going to be your land. And all of these would be fulfilled as God said. Now Laban here, as, as Jacob and Laban are discussing this, and Jacob wants to leave, and Laban says, no, don't go. And then Laban tells Jacob to name his wages, just like he had 14 years earlier. At that time, Jacob chose to work for Rachel to be given to him as his wife, if you recall. He said, you know, just you shouldn't work for me for nothing. Name your wages. And he says, you know, I'd like, I'd like your daughter, Rachel. I'd like her hand, you know, to be my wife in marriage. You know, and I'll work seven years for that. And Laban said, yeah, good deal. Well, then what, what happens is after those seven years, Laban deceitfully gives Jacob his daughter Leah, the older one Leah, you know, as his wife instead of Rachel as he had promised to do. Well, then after that, you know, he says, well, then you'll fulfill, you know, your marriage week with, with, uh, with, uh, uh, Leah. And then I'll, I'll give you, I'll give you the younger one. I'll, I'll, you know, I'll give you, uh, Rachel as well. And so that, that's what happened. So 14 years. Now in verse 31 here, I think, you know, I, I believe we again see Jacob trying to direct things according to his own plan instead of seeking God's direction. You see, Jacob has an idea of how he wants things to go. Jacob has an idea of how he can get ahead. And he begins to lay it out there for Laban. We don't see, we don't see anything in here at all where, where Jacob gets direction from God or even consults God or even gives God a wink and a nod. He doesn't do anything here. And then you also have Laban here. And Laban's trying to control things. Because notice Laban agrees to the offer, but then what does he do? It says that same day he sends his sons to remove all of those goats and goats and lambs that Jacob said he would take as his payment. He removed those, and then he puts three days distance between Jacob and and what was supposed to be his wages. You have two men here. You have two men here who are both trying to work their own plan for their own advantage with absolutely no regard for each other because they had no regard for God. You see, if you leave God out of the picture, you can expect a mess. You can expect a mess. So when you go to work, if you go there and you leave God at home, if he doesn't enter into in in any way the type of employee you are, the things you talk about, the things you discuss, if that never even comes up, if there's no difference between you and those around you, then, then what's going to happen there is God's left out of the picture and it becomes a mess. Because we begin to put our own way as the lead instead of what God says. Let's continue. Verse 37. 
says, Jacob then took branches of fresh poplar, almond, and plain wood and peeled the bark, exposing white stripes on the branches. He set the peeled branches in the troughs in front of the sheep in the water channels where the sheep came to drink, and the sheep bred when they came to drink. The flocks bred in front of the branches and bore streaked, speckled, and spotted young. Jacob separated the lambs and made the flocks face the streaked and completely dark sheep in Laban's flock. Then he set his own stock apart and didn't put them with Laban's sheep. Whenever the stronger flock were breeding, Jacob placed the branches in the troughs in full view of the flocks, and they would breed in front of the branches. As for the weaklings of the flocks, he did not put out the branches, so it turned out that the weak sheep belonged to Laban, and the stronger ones belonged to Jacob. And the man became very rich. He had many flocks, male and female slaves, and camels, and donkeys. Those are all things of wealth. Those are all, all indications of wealth there. We're going to pause there again. Now, what we see here is Jacob running his own plan and his own scheme with the goal of only his own profit. He is no longer, he is no longer working to do well for Laban. In fact, he tries to arrange his working so it's at Laban's expense instead of for Laban's benefit. Now what you see here of peeling back the bark and placing them in the water troughs and making them face the dark sheep or spotted goats while mating, that did absolutely nothing. All that is is explaining to you Jacob's plan. You know, that, that's all it's doing. This was, it was, uh, this was simply superstition, nothing connected to results at all. It's just like Laban, it's just like Laban who says, I have learned by divination. It does not endorse divination. All it does is tell you what he did. All this is telling you here is what Jacob did. Yeah, that, that's all that's happened. Now, the mating of the stronger animals to produce stronger offspring, that's simply Jacob applying what he learned as a shepherd, you know, over these 14 years. And, you know, it's just a, a, a easy question of animal husbandry, you know, and, and being able to study what was going on. And that's all he did as he was working for Laban. But Jacob, again, was simply running his own plan with his own profit in mind, his own profit at Laban's expense. That's all he was doing here. Now, here's the thing for us. You see, we can be fooled into thinking that our plans succeed because we overlook the hand of God at work. That's exactly what Jacob was doing. Now he's about to get, he's about to get a wake up call and you'll see why I said what I said here, you know, as when we move on in a little bit. But all he's doing, you know, he is fooled, you know, you fooled, you can read this and be fooled into thinking that Jacob's plan worked, but that's not it. it, it you overlook the hand of God here. When you leave God out of your planning, you certainly don't look for his hand in the results. Jacob overlooked his, overlooked God's hand in the planning and he wasn't looking for him in the results. Because he didn't have his eye on God at all. Now God is about to make his presence known here in chapter 31 and he's about to make his presence known to Jacob and in a way that seems to begin to get Jacob's attention. Chapter 31, follow along, verse 1. Now Jacob heard what Laban's sons were saying. Jacob has taken all that, our, that was our father's and has built his wealth from what belonged to our father. Now, you see what was obvious about him now? Verse 2, And Jacob saw from Laban's face that his attitude toward him was not the same. 
Then the Lord said to him, go back to the land of your fathers. That's what the Lord said to him. Go back to the land of your fathers and to your family and I will be with you. Jacob had Rachel and Leah called to the field where his flocks were. He said to them, I can see from your father's face and his attitude toward me is not the same. But the God of my fathers has been uh, with me. And you know that I've worked hard for your father and that he has cheated me and changed my wages ten times. But God has not let him harm me. If he said to spotted sheep will be your wages, then all the sheep were born spotted. If he said to streaked sheep will be your wages, then all the sheep were born streaked. God has taken away your father's herds and given them to me. Verse 10, when the flocks were breeding, I saw in a dream that the streaked, spotted, and speckled males were all mating with the females. In that dream, the angel of God said to me, Jacob, and I said, here I am. And he said, look up and see that all the males are mating with the flocks, are streaked, spotted, and speckled, for I have seen all that Laban has been doing to you. I am the God of Bethel, where you poured out oil on the stone marker and made a solemn vow to me, get up, leave this land, and return to your native land. Then Rachel and Leah answered him, do we have any portion or inheritance in our father's household? Are we not regarded by him as outsiders? For he has sold us and has certainly spent our money. In fact, all the wealth that God has taken away from our father belongs to us and to our children. So do whatever God has said to you. We're going to pause there. See, Jacob encounters God again. You know, God followed through on the promises he made to Jacob at Bethel. God followed through. Because you see, the promises depended on the character of God, not on the character of Jacob. When God made this promise to Abraham, when he made the promise and passed it on to Isaac, when he makes the promise, passes it on to Jacob. Each time God said, this is what I will do. He never said, if you do this or that, then I will. He said, this is what's going to happen. That's why I said, you know, even though at this point Jacob didn't have a relationship with God, he was God's chosen man. And what you have here is is God fulfilling his promises because of the character of God, not because of the character of Jacob. Jacob continued to resist a relationship with God at this point. Look at verse 5. He, he refers to God as the God of my father. You see that it's my, it's, it's the God of my father. There's, there's no, no connection there at all. You know, but Jacob begins, it seems, a bit of turn toward faith here. He recognizes that God has been with him through all this. He recognizes it's not because of these branches he put in there, but it's because of the hand of God. You see, God will fulfill his promises. And he will remind us of his presence. This is what's going on in Jacob's life here. God was fulfilling his promises. And then God stepped up and reminded Jacob of his presence. That he was the one who was doing this. Jacob is still resisting a commitment to God here. He is still avoiding that relationship of his own with God. You cannot come to God on your parents' faith. Your children cannot come to God on your faith. 
in all of these, what it takes is you have to have a relationship with God yourself. You have to have that relationship to God yourself. Not you know, you're not riding the coattails of of your parents at all. It is a personal relationship with God, and that is what Jacob is resisting here. Still, the God of my father, not one that he has a relationship with yet. He's resisting. He follows his own plan, and another six years have gone by. If you recall, a few chapters ago, a few weeks ago, when we were looking at this. Jacob and his mother expected that he would be gone just a short time. There was a short time and after his brother Esau calmed down, then, then he would, you know, he would, she would send for him and call him back. You know, and that the land promised him, and now he has been gone from his family and from that promised land for 20 years. The seven years that he worked for Leah, the seven years that he worked for Rachel, and the six years here that he worked to build his own his own herd and his own his own stock there. And what we see at the end here is that Laban was treating Jacob the way Jacob treated others. It's a biblical principle. You reap what you sow. It is not karma. You got that? It is not karma. It what you see is God being true to his word. In Numbers chapter five or chapter thirty-two, he says, "But if you don't do this, you will certainly sin against the Lord. Be sure, your sin will catch up with you. Your sin will catch up with you. It's not karma. It is God being true to His word. In Galatians chapter six." It says, don't be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, he will also reap. Because the one who sows to his flesh will reap corruption from the flesh. The one who sows to the spirit will reap eternal life from the spirit. It's the, it is God being faithful and true to his word where a man reaps whatever he sows. And this is what's going on for Jacob. And Jacob here, he's aware of God. He simply was resisting having that relationship with God. Now, God continued to be faithful. And Jacob, you know, finally realizes or admitted here that it was God who granted him success, not his own cleverness. Look at verse 9. He says, God has taken away your father's herds and given them to me. He finally recognizes, he finally admits it is God who has been doing this. And Jacob makes a turn toward faith. I don't think he's realized it yet, even himself. But God orchestrated the circumstances here. He got Jacob's attention again. And Jacob begins to yield to God, at least to admit that God is the one who is working. Last section for today, verse 17. Then Jacob got up and put his children and wives on the camels. In other words, he was packing the truck. He took all the livestock and possessions he had acquired in Padanaram, and he drove the herds to go to the land of his father Isaac in Canaan. When Laban had gone to shear the sheep, Rachel stole her father's household idols, and Jacob deceived Laban the Aramean, not telling him that he was fleeing. He fled with all his possessions and crossed the Euphrates and headed for the hill country of Gilead. 
You see, despite all of Jacob's interaction with God here, you know, and realizing the blessing that God has granted him, notice, Jacob still has not repented. He's still a deceiver. You see, when you repent, you change your ways and your actions from your old ways to ones that are now agreeing with and living with God and living God's way. That's what repentance is. You depend on God rather than your own ways, and and Jacob is not yet doing that. He has not yet repented. He has not yet turned. And we see the same from Rachel. You know, Jacob and Rachel both, they've not made a commitment to God. Yet, in fact, we see here Rachel steals one of her father's idols before they leave. You see, we do foolish things when we don't follow God. You could word that we do sinful things when we don't follow God. God wants us to recognize his presence. God wants us to recognize his working in our lives. God wants to be honored as the source of our success. You don't see that happening here at all with Jacob and Rachel as they flee. (coughs) Our strategies, you know, our ideas are hollow replacements for God's leading. We trade, we trade reality, God's leading, for, for empty, hollow ways, our own ideas and our own thoughts, our own short-sightedness. I mean, let's be realistic. You have ideas about what's going to happen on, on, well, this afternoon. But you don't know for sure, do you? You have an idea what's going to happen this week, what's, how this week's going to unfold. You have some thoughts about what you're going to do on Friday. But the reality is we don't know, do we? Because what we do, you see, we, we begin to trade and we, be, we begin to you know, come up with our own strategies and we, we put our own strategies and ideals there and they are hollow, empty replacements for God's leading. Now, God will use failure in our lives to draw us to himself in his ways. Romans, you know, Romans 8 is, is still true. All things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. God, you know, he will be true to his word and he will use those failures sometimes to draw us to himself. And that this is what, this is what begins to happen for Jacob. And we're seeing the beginning of that unfolding more and more here. Being challenged, you know, when we're challenged, it's an opportunity for us. It's an opportunity to grow or it's an opportunity to shrink back. When that challenge is there before us, we have an opportunity to grow and to begin to follow God or we have have the opposite opportunity to just step back and not follow him. Every challenge is there for us to that. And up to this point, Jacob has used them as an opportunity to shrink back from God. But he is starting to turn toward faith that's going to unfold in the, in the weeks to come here. But what I learn here is God's people choose God's way over their own plan. We choose God's way over our own plan. God's people, those who have a relationship to God choose God's way over their own plan. Now, understand, this does not mean that we don't plan. This is not what I'm saying. I'm not saying we don't plan. But we don't plan 
without God. We don't plan without God. And, and we don't plan with God in a lesser place in our living. We plan with him in first place. We plan with him doing the leading. Turn toward faith. Choose to follow God's way. Choose a relationship with him. Choose to live that relationship with him. Let's pray.